All right, well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to Ephesians chapter 2, right where Chad was just reading from. We're going to be continuing our study through the book of Ephesians that we've been doing for a while. If you were just starting to live stream with us, uh, one of our elders, Jeff Shaver, has loaded onto all, onto live stream on YouTube uh, all of the previous sermons through Ephesians. And so you can grab those and if you want to kind of catch up to where we're at um, and track along with us through the entire series, you can, you can certainly do that. So, but this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Uh, while you're getting there, a couple of weeks ago, Sarah and I had to get new credit cards. Uh, this is not the first time. This has happened several times. But we had to get new credit cards because somebody in North Carolina or some, somewhere along the way, they got our credit card, they got our number or something. They were buying all kinds of stuff in North Carolina under our name. And so our credit card company thankfully recognized, hey, this is out of order, this is weird, and so they shut the whole thing down, but we had to get new, new numbers. And so then you've got to go in, you've got to change everything, Amazon, you know, Prime, Net, Netflix, um, like everything that's just recurring, all of our automatic payments that go out like that, all of that stuff had to get changed. And like I said, this isn't the first time this has happened, there's been several times throughout our marriage, uh, almost 18 years now, where... There's been someone who's, you know, tried to steal our identity. They've tried to get our credit card. Um, and that's just with a credit card. If someone got a hold of your social security number, I mean, there's all kinds of havoc that they can wreak. But there's just, this is what we have to do in this age. We have to guard against identity theft. But then we forget a lot of times that there is an identity theft spiritually that happens as well. And while we, as intelligent humans, will guard against consumer identity theft, a lot of times we just open ourselves wide up and willingly and openly invite spiritual identity theft into our lives. And that can wreak far more havoc than consumer identity theft could ever even think about. And so let me explain why and kind of explain how Spiritual identity theft happens. If you are, see, I'm, I'm still going through puberty. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then you are not defined any longer by the external. You are defined by the internal. You are not defined by what you've done or even what's been done to you. You've been made new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus has taken our sin. He's taken our shame. He's taken our brokenness. He's given to us his righteousness. This is the glory of the gospel. We don't get what we deserve. Jesus got that. Instead, we get what Jesus deserve. We get eternal life. We get forgiveness of sins. We get imputed righteousness that's given to us by Christ. And so we are not defined any longer by the external, but by the internal. We are defined by being in Christ. That's the way the book of Ephesians puts it over and over and over. In Christ. That is what we are supposed to be defined by. The problem is that we don't live like that most of the time. The problem is that all too often we give ourselves willingly over to spiritual identity theft. 
I mean, if I ask you who you are, you're going to give me a, a whole list of labels. I'm a businessman. I'm a teacher. I'm a bus driver. I'm a truck driver. I'm a farmer. I'm a cook. I'm a CEO. I'm a uh, accountant. I'm this. I'm that. Okay. And and listen, that's fine. And trying to just explain to someone a little bit about you know your background and and here's what I do. The problem is when we begin to define ourselves by what we do, or by where we work or by where we live or the size of our house, the size of our bank account, or the clothes we have, our kids, our car, our neighborhoods. We begin to define ourselves by these things. And so paraphrasing Matt Chandler, we'll wind up kind of coming into some, some groups and we define ourselves saying, hey, I'm this and kind of this is my group. And so on the one hand, you've got the upper middle class, white collar, drive a BMW, five bedroom house with an entertainment room and a pool in the backyard, right? So that's one person's identity, member of a country club, like they identify themselves around that. Then on the other hand, you've got, you know, I'm not a sissy BMW driving caviar, you know, eating champagne, sipping wuss. I'm a genuine Miller Draft, $2 hamburger, beaten up F-150 driving guy. So you've got these groups, we define ourselves around these external things. This is what we do. And here's the rub with this. Since we define ourselves by what we do, what happens then is that any threat to us not being able to do that thing well, and for a long time at a high level, can send us into despair and can send us into depression. It can create in us a ton of anxiety because I don't know who I am. I simply know what I do and I've tried to define my life by what I do and what people think about me and and how they would define me. And so when all that changes and I can no longer do or, or don't have the opportunity to do what I've always done, now I'm lost and I have no clue what's going on. I have no clue who I am. That's what spiritual identity theft does to you. It robs you of joy and peace and contentment in the normalcy of life. It robs you of those things and it creates anxiety or pride. And the antidote is to truly recognize who you are in Christ, to find your identity there. And that's what the entire first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all about. It is all about who you are in Christ. And so through our study this far, thus far, we've already seen that in Christ, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are sealed, you are loved, you are saved. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in what Christ has done in his life, death and resurrection, this is who you are. These things, chosen, loved, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, this is who you are. 
And now as we come to verses 19 through 22, Paul is going to lay out three more aspects of exactly who we are. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to try to help you slay the dragon of giving yourself over to spiritual identity theft. And instead, encourage your hearts with who you are in Christ. And then also apply that right now to what is going on in this weird, weird day that we're living in. In the midst of quarantines and escalating health crisis. And so let's look at these together. If you've got your Bible, again, open it up. We're going to be looking at verse 19. And the first thing I want you to notice, it's kind of like a, a, a funnel, a narrowing funnel. But at its core, it, the first thing I want you to notice is this. Number one in your notes, if you are in Christ, who you are, dear, dear friend, you are God's family. All right. Number one in your notes, you are God's family. Look at verse 19 with me. So then, you are No longer strangers and aliens, right? So that's good, but better than that, narrowing down some more. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Not just that God is, you know, I mean, God is king over all things, but but in particular, he is creating a kingdom made up of distinct people that he has chosen for his own possession. So no longer strangers and aliens, narrowing down saints, right? Members. Fellow citizens with the saints and then narrowing down, look at the intimacy here, and members of the household of God. Friends, if you are in Christ, if you have been born again by grace, through faith, this is who you are. You are part of God's family, household of God, okay, family. Chapter 1, verse 6, you've been adopted by God into his family, and he is now your father. And I want us to think through this because, like, for those of us who maybe struggle with the fear that at some point in the past or that in the future we may do something to some degree that we're going to slip and do something so terrible that we lose our salvation, or for those who live under the strangling grip of legalism that says, man, you better walk the line or you're out. Ponder the reality of what adoption is. It is a beautiful thing. Adoption is an attitude and position which secures a child's identity in a new family. Secures it. And listen to me, it's not annullable. It's not like a trial basis thing. It's not, you know, let's try this out and let's see if this works. No, it is a done deal out of love. And we don't get kicked out of the family because of our behavior. And so this means we don't have to worry day to day whether we're good enough to be a part of God's family. No, Jesus was good enough for us. And we are adopted into it freely by our Father's choice. And nothing can undo the adoption that binds us to Christ. Because He did it. Not us. He chose us. He set His affections upon us before the foundation of the earth. And He signed the adoption papers with His own blood. 
Friend in Christ, be free of the fear of falling away. You are kept by God for God because He is your Father and because He loves you. I mean, chapter 1, verse 4 says, Since before the foundation of the earth, He has loved us. He has set His affections upon us. He has loved us since then, and He always will. I've got four kids. And obviously, they, they can do things and do at times that, I mean, they're amazing kids, but as any kids, they're sinners just like their dad's a sinner. And so they can do things that, you know, would disappoint me at times or, you know, make choices that, that aren't the best. But there's nothing they can do that would change my love for them. There's nothing they can do that will make me love them less. And there's nothing they can do that would make me love them more. I love them. I mean, they are mine. I love them because they're mine. I love them. And listen, I am a cranky old sinner. Take that up to a perfect, all-patient, heavenly Father. If you are in Christ, this is how the Father, perfect Father though, is with you. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. Can you disappoint Him? Sure. But you can't change His love for you because His love isn't based on you. It's based on Christ. And the Father's love for His Son, like He can't possibly love Jesus any more than He does. And He can't possibly love Jesus any less than He does. And we are in Christ and therefore, He can't possibly love us any more than He does. He can't possibly love us any less than He does because we are in Christ. And His love for us is based on Christ, not us. Friend, He loves you as a father, a perfect father. And He's adopted you into His family. This is who you are if you are in Christ. You are part of God's family. And I want you to note real quick that word member there. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What this means is that we're not alone. That we're one of many, that we have brothers and sisters. And so understand when the Bible talks about the family of God, what it is talking about is the church. That's what that means. So when I say you are God's family, it means you are part of the church. You're like, well, I'm not necessarily a, a member of a church. Well, let me explain a little bit about that. When you, when you see the word church in the New Testament, ecclesia, it's usually used in one of two ways. It's either used capital C church, it may not capitalize it, but that's how we'll call it, capital C, and that's the idea of the universal church, all right, the invisible church that is made up of all believers of all times across all geographic locations, all right, that is the universal church. And the moment, like, you become a member of that church at the moment of conversion, 
At the moment you trust Jesus by faith as your Savior, Lord, and King, at that moment you are made a member of the universal church, the invisible church. But then that must be given expression through a local community. It's with a particular local community of God's people that we are to give that expression. A local community that exists under Christ's headship, serving kingdom purposes by the Spirit's power for the glory of God. Okay, that's what a local church is. It is a local collection of followers of Christ who are committed to Christ and to one another. And so listen, it's, it's right there in that community. Right in the midst of a group of sinners who've committed to loving the Savior and to loving one another, that the gospel is displayed. The church gives a visual presentation of the gospel when we forgive one another, just as Christ forgave us. When we commit to one another, just as Christ has committed to us. When we lay down our lives for one another, just as Christ laid down his life for us. When we inconvenience ourselves for one another, when we go out of our way for one another, just as Christ inconvenienced himself and went out of his way for us. And it's only together that we can display the gospel of Jesus in this way, in a way that we just can't do by ourselves. And so in our starting point, which is like our new members class, and we have once a month for those who are interested in finding out more about the church, I always share this quote from Mark Dever. Here's what he writes. We, dem- we demonstrate to the world that we have been changed by the gospel, okay, by Christ, not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, pray before meals, tithe a portion of our income, and listen to Christian radio stations, but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with to forgive, and even to love a bunch of fellow sinners. And you and I cannot demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting sitting all by ourselves on an island. No, we demonstrate it when the people we have committed to loving give us good reasons not to love them, but we do anyway. Because He's made us a family. Because He's made us brothers and sisters. This is a lot of what providence is all about. We love one another. And we're there for one another. And so the application here is kind of twofold. One, know that you are loved by the Father. And love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially during this time when we can't gather, we can't see one another. Check on one another. Phone call, pray, text, social media. Do something. Connect with one another. Send a card. Write a letter. Check on one another. Be there for one another. Be the church. Care for your family. And so who are you? If you are in Christ, you are a child of the King. You are an adopted son or daughter and you have a father who loves you and he's given you a family. And so number one, you are God's family. Number two, You are secure in Christ. This is who you are. Number one, you are part of God's family. Number two, you are secure in Christ. How are we secure? Because this family that he's given us is built on a firm foundation. 
Look at verse 19 again. We'll read it all in context. So then, again, just love how straightforward you are. this is. You are, he just lays it out there. Hey, here's who you are. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Here we go, verse 20. Built on the foundation, so here's our foundation, of the apostles and the prophets, that is, the word of God, that is scripture, okay? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the foundation in whom the whole structure, that household, it's a structure, using that metaphor, the whole structure, the whole family of God being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so what this passage is saying is that your position in the household of God is secure because it's not about you. See, if it was about you, if it was based on your actions alone, then it wouldn't be secure at all because we are fickle. But since it is Christ who saves us, verse 8, by grace, through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but the gift of God, Since it's a gift of God and not of ourselves, it's secure because it is Christ who saved us. So if we could save ourselves and we could unsave ourselves, but if it's Christ who saved us, well, we can't undo what Christ has done. This is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so in Christ we are secure. In Christ we are safe. Our foundation is solid. And our cornerstone, the one who gives us Security, the one who gives alignment to the entire building. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who loves you and is for you. And so friend, you could not be more secure. And the whole message of the Bible is that there is more room in this structure. There is more room in this household. And so if you have never trusted Jesus, come in. Trust Him and build your life on this foundation. And so to illustrate this point, this idea of building our lives on this strong foundation, I need all of our children to pay attention, to listen, and actually to help me wherever you're at. All right? Don't have any Grover impersonations this morning. We might bring that next, back next week or in the weeks to come. But I need your help this morning with singing a song. So can you guys help me sing that song? If you know the words, sing along with me, literally, in your, like, sing to your parents, your siblings. Let's sing this together. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the... Where does it go? Yeah, but there's another verse there. Anyhow, at some point it goes, and the rains came down and the floods came up 
The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Right? But the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. La da 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 da. Rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splat. When you build your house on the sand, on your spiritual, like on the the stealing of your spiritual identity. When you build it on who you, like not who you are, but what you do. That is sand. And it will collapse under the weight of that. But if you build your house on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, that is a firm and sure foundation. Christ is a rock. And when you build on that foundation, you are no longer tossed to and fro by the shifting winds of your circumstances. You are solid. You are secure in Him. And friends, the God who chose you, just listen to me, the God who chose you before time, when only He existed, will not leave you victim to the time and tides of life. No, He, as we sang a few minutes ago, will hold you fast. In this time, as anxiety goes up, as escalating, you know, health crises continue, New York in particular, California, but around other places as well, as anxiety increases, He will hold you fast. As you're worried about your job, He will hold you fast. As your finances diminish and your debt goes up, He will hold you fast. It doesn't mean it won't get hard. But it means He won't run out on you. It means He will be there. He will hold you fast. And you are secure. The most important things in your life can't be taken from you. Who you are in Him. The eternal life that you have in Him. The joy that you have in Him. Even when other things are taken, that can't be taken. So plant it on the secure foundation of Christ. Not the sand of a stolen spiritual identity. I don't know what you do. Or what you have. But rather who you are in Christ. And so number one, who are you? As we're seeking to slay that dragon of spiritual identity theft, who are you? You are God's family. And in that, you are secure. You are safe. Like a, like, like a basement foundation in a tornado. You are safe. And number three, you are, along with the rest of the church, God's dwelling place. You are, along with the rest of the church, God's dwelling place. Look at verse 22. In Him, in Christ, there's that language again, it's all through Ephesians. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God 
by the Spirit. And so what this is getting after is that if Jesus is the cornerstone, and if the apostles and the prophets are the, you know, so you've got cornerstone, and if the apostles and the prophets are the foundation, then who are the bricks that make up the, this temple that's being built? Well, the answer is us. It's believers. You are. If you are in Christ, you are one of those bricks. I am one of those bricks. And since we are joined together, since we are built together, since we are a family and are all growing together, that means that every single person counts in the building of this thing. And again, Paul here is emphasizing the corporate nature of the church. And it's not just about you. It's not even about your like, personal family. It's about the big family. That there is an usness to Christianity. The Bible knows no idea of a Lone Ranger Christian. And to be a follower of Christ is to be a committed member of a local church somewhere. And you can be a fan of Christ and not do that, but be a follower of Christ. A fan of Christ that, yeah, I love Jesus. I even love to hear about people getting baptized. I even love to hear about those sorts of things. Yay, Jesus. Go, Jesus. I even think your way is the right way. Just not enough for me to actually live by and commit myself to a group of people. That's a fan of Christ, but a follower of Christ commits themselves to what Christ calls us to all the way, not just part of the way. And we all are needed as bricks. Everyone is needed. We need one another's time, talent, treasure, resources, giftings. How God has wired you. There's a hand, there's a foot, there's a leg, there's an eye, there's an ear. We all have a part to play. God is building us. And Jesus even says, I will build what? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God is at work building His church universally and even churches locally. And in so doing, we are His dwelling place. And He is with us. And I want you to hear that. Again, in the midst of all the craziness of this world right now, hear that, that the Father dwells with you. And He will dwell with us, Revelation 21, in a new way someday. But even now, there's an already not yet paradigm. Even now, He dwells with us. He tells us that we, the church, is His dwelling place. And individually, then, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so you are the dwelling place of God. I want you to hear that, that He is with you. I want you to get that, that He is with you. I want you to drink that down. He is with you. He is with us. And come hell or high water, whatever happens, He is with us. He doesn't leave. He doesn't run out. I mean, ride or die, He is with us. Pointedly, He is with you. He is with you. If you are in Christ, He is with you. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And Jesus isn't lying. Hear that. Know that. And stop living a lie. 
stop living as if who you are is what you do, what you have, and all the labels the world would throw on you. That is not who you are. Stop giving into spiritual identity theft. You are not what you do. You are not what you've done. You are not what's been done to you. Who you are is, if you are in Christ, is, his, is the Father's beloved son or daughter. And you are safe and secure in Him. And He dwells with you. Hold on to that. Know that. Believe that. And it will change your life. Let's pray. Father, help us. As, even as we talked about in weeks past, Lord, we are so prone to forgetfulness that we constantly need reminders to remember who we are, to remember who you are, to remember what you've said, to remember how you've called us to live, called us to walk, and what you've said about us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to remember these truths, that we are not what we do. We are not what people say. Who we are fundamentally is yours. And so when things are taken away and we can't do them anymore and we feel lost, Lord, we are, I mean, it can be certainly hard, but we don't lose who we are. And it's okay when we know who we are in Christ. So even when our health goes away, even when our strength goes away, even when our job goes away, even when our finances go away, as hard as it may be, it's okay. Because we're still yours. And you still hold us. And you still love us. And you're still with us. And you're not going to walk out on us. You're going to love us. You are going to hold us fast. And so, Father, encourage us with these thoughts that we are your family and that we are secure and that you dwell with us now and always. It's in the name of Jesus we ask that you would do these things. Amen. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, so much of what I said today is not true of you. But it can be. The household is wide open. There is room for more. And so if you would simply repent and believe, God would be so glad to adopt you into his family, give you the forgiveness of sins. And so all you have to do is admit that you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and believe on the Lord Jesus in his life, in the place of your life, his death, as a substitute for your deserved death for your sin and His resurrection that validates it all. Confess that He is your Lord and Savior and you are receiving Him and He will be glad to receive you and give you eternal life and forgiveness of sins. If that's something you'd like to talk about, I would love nothing more. You can contact any of us. You can even write right now and one of the elders will respond on the live stream. Or you can go to the Connect card and fill that out and we'll, get, you know, we'll contact you. And if the Lord is tugging at your heart, don't let that go by lightly. 
And then for all of us, let's remember these truths as we face these uncertain days. And as we do, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. You guys have a great week.